Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. In our last episode, we began our examination of Kevin Goff's closing on behalf of William Roddy Bryan. In this episode, we continue that exploration, beginning with Goff's argument for what William Bryan was doing and thinking during the moments leading up to Travis McMichael's shooting of Ahmad Arbery. That's coming up after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We concluded the last episode with Kevin Goff offering the jury a narrative for what his client, William Bryan, saw and did as he followed behind Ahmad Arbery and used his cell phone to record what would be the final moments of Ahmad Arbery's life. As that video plays for the jury, we see that Bryan has picked up his phone from the seat of his Eldorado pickup truck and is pointing the lens back down Holmes Road in the direction of his house and in the direction that he last saw Ahmad Arbery running. At this point, Roddy Bryan is looking down, back down Holmes. Now, what does he do here? He's pulled up his cell phone. His cell phone's been down because he was driving away. When Mr. Bryan said that he was going home, when he said the guy didn't want to be caught, that's all consistent with this video. Now we can see that he's turned around. The question is, ladies and gentlemen, why is he turning around? Technically, this is the shorter path back to his house. It may be easier to get in the driveway. You can see the bushes in the uh, video out front. Maybe. Maybe he's trying to document what's going on. He said that's what he was trying to do. Maybe. And that's just me going out on a limb. I'm going to suggest to you that perhaps, and I know I'll get grief for this, I would submit to you that you can call it karma, you can call it fate, I would call it divine providence. Somebody is guiding Mr. Bryan, whether it's a conscious thought process or not. Something is guiding Mr. Bryan down this street to document what's going on. Just like Mr. Bryan's on his porch. Why does he go out? He doesn't know. He gets in his car, he sits out there, he doesn't even know why. He's being guided, whether that's by a God, if you believe in a God, uh, or by some other entity. But do you really believe it's just coincidence or chance? Do you really believe Mr. Bryan is trying to lie or deceive you at this point? Well, we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna continue playing the video. <laughs> I'm trying to 
Right. Okay. Mr. Bryan is traveling as he testified, as an agent indicated in the reenactment video. He's traveling at 10 or 15 miles an hour. He's traveling faster than Mr. Arbery. But clearly, if he was trying to hunt him down, he would be going a lot faster. <clears throat> More to the point, at this point, as Mr. Bryan comes around the dog leg, what we're seeing here, I can't be sure whether this is the enhanced video or not, but what we're seeing here in this courtroom with the artificial interior lighting is certainly a better view than Mr. Bryan has actually looking through that phone with the glare and other stuff that's going to be in the car on a sunny day. Anyone who's tried to look at pictures on their phone while they're driving on a day like this understands that sometimes you can't see the phone at all. But assuming that Mr. Bryan has 20-20 vision and assuming that he has every bit as good a view of his phone as he's driving as you see here. Where's Travis McMichael? I can't see Travis McMichael in this picture. Really honestly, I can't see Greg McMichael in this picture. And I certainly can't see any guns. Now, this is at 1.15 into a minute and 43 second video. And Mr. Bryan at this point has no reason to know that the individuals in that truck have guns. At this point, I think you can see that there's a shadow, a silhouette of what's Travis McMichael. But from where Mr. Bryan is, in his vehicle, again, even if he has a perfect view of his phone, you can't see a weapon. You can't see anybody's arm. Kevin Goff appears to be arguing that it was impossible for his client to know that the McMichaels were armed. And because of that, William Bryan could not have been aware that by driving down Holmes Road behind Ahmaud Arbery, he and the armed McMichaels were boxing Mr. Arbery into a trap. Goff then moves on to another piece of detail in the video that he says further suggests that William Bryan anticipated that Mr. Arbery was going to be able to run away and that Bryan was merely trying to record his running for the police. All right, we're going to go forward again. At 1.15, now watch, you see that Mr. Bryan's phone is focused to the right of the truck. Why? because Roddy Bryan doesn't know Matt Albenzi is down on Jones at 220 Satilla with his phone and his gun. The McMichaels know because Mr. Albenzi's giving them the hand signal. Mr. Arbery knows because he's running out of the house away from Mr. Albenzi. But Roddy Bryan doesn't know that. Roddy Bryan is thinking that Mr. Arbery, like he has for the last minute or so that he's been out there, that Mr. Arbery is just going to go around the truck like he's gone around the trucks the whole time and head out Satilla toward the exit to the neighborhood. Goff continues this line of argument, asserting that his client was completely surprised that a gun was present in this situation. All right, go ahead again. At 116, Travis's silhouette should come in view. Now, there's Greg McMichael in the back of the truck. Now, we know that he has a gun. I think at this point he's on the cell phone, but I, I, for Mr. Roddy Bryan's vantage point, looking through this phone as he's trying to drive on a sunny day in his truck, 
how can Mr. Bryan know that Greg McMichael has a gun or that he's drawn it? He can't. Go ahead. All right, this is 121. You can see Mr. Arbery. You can see how far back Mr. Bryan is. And you can see Mr. Arbery going to the left momentarily. And way over here, this little fuzzy black thing here, this silhouette is Travis McMichael. Where on this video, putting aside the fact that Mr. Bryan's not going to have as good a view driving on a sunny day in his car, from this video alone, where is Mr. Travis McMichael's shotgun? Roddy Bryan can't see any weapon. He has no reason to know that these men are armed. And at this point, there's 20 seconds left in this video. And we're just going to go ahead and play it. And you tell me, in your mind, because you can't tell me, figure out when Roddy Bryan can see Travis McMichael's shotgun. Because Roddy's looking the wrong way. He's looking to the right, expecting the garbage to run off. Wow. We're now at what? Where are we on the timestamp? We're now at 128. Roddy Bryan has never seen, and I don't care what is in any prior statement, we know looking at this video, Roddy Bryan's never seen the shotgun until after it's been discharged the first time. That's not an opinion, that's fact. You're looking at it. You just never looked at it from this perspective before. As you just heard, Kevin Goff talked through that horrific moment when the sound of the first shotgun blast can be heard. It is unclear whether Goff was himself so focused on making his point that he ignored the moment in which Mr. Arbery was killed, or whether Goff sought to anesthetize the jurors to the emotional impact of that sound so they could focus on the argument that he was presenting to them. In any event, Goff proceeds through the rest of the video and his assessment of his client's mindset at the time. Let's go ahead and play the rest of it. Having looked at the video again slowly from Mr. Bryan's perspective, when did Roddy Bryan know the McMichaels brought guns? I would submit to you that Mr. Bryan doesn't know that there's a gun until it goes off. Not because it wasn't there, but you see what Mr. Bryan is seeing. When did Roddy Bryan know Travis would shoot Mr. Arbery. I would submit to you, he can't know until Mr. Arbery is actually shot. And at that point, what could Roddy Bryan do to stop this tragic shooting? The state has thrown out all kinds of theories. Uh, he could have honked his horn. He could have gone to the left. He could have gone to the right. He should have backed up. Well, obviously, if Mr. Bryan saw a shotgun pointing down the street in his direction, he probably would have at least ducked. But he doesn't do that because Roddy Bryan can't see the gun. And when the state tells you that he was hunting Mr. Arbery down, what they're trying to tell you is that he's going down the road towards them when he's going up the road away from them. 
And when he says he turns around, brings the video back up, he takes the best video that we have, the only video we have of this shooting. So when Mr. Bryan says on the side of the road on February 23rd to, to Officer Minshew, I was trying to record what happened. I don't know what I got. I think I got two or three. He only got one. But fortunately, he got the one that you need to figure out what justice is in this case. And again, it's not for Roddy Bryan, it's not for me to say what justice is here between the McMichaels and Mr. Arbery and his family. That's not our call, that's your call. But again, but for Mr. Bryan, whether you call it serendipity, luck, coincidence, or the hand of God here, not once, but twice, has someone who keeps to themselves, who never gets involved in anybody else's business, who is almost a stranger in his own neighborhood, has now gone out and gotten a video, which is the best evidence for you to look at and trying to figure out what happened here. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Kevin Goff seems to have boiled down his argument on behalf of William Roddy Bryan to two assertions. Bryan cannot be held responsible for Ahmaud Arbery's shooting death because he had no idea that the McMichaels had guns. And his act of recording the final moments of Mr. Arbery's life proves his noble intentions. Goff then pivots to specifying for the jurors how his client's actions relate to the felony and felony murder laws of Georgia. He continues. The predicate offenses for the felony murder counts, those are counts two, three, four, and five, or counts six, seven, eight, and nine. And I will address each of the underlying or predicate felonies in a moment. But right now I want to talk about something called proximate cause. Because to support any of the felony murder counts in this case, there has to be a causal relationship to the death of Ahmaud Arbery. And there is no such relationship in this case. Goff next offers the jury his argument for why there was no causal relationship between William Bryan's acts on February 23, 2020, and Ahmaud Arbery's killing. Now, again, with all respect to the state, who have some very capable lawyers, when we look objectively at the events of February 23rd, I would respectfully submit to you that Roddy Bryan's presence is absolutely superfluous and irrelevant to the tragic death of Ahmaud Arbery. Now that may not be intuitively obvious, but if you think about it, I believe you'll agree. Had Roddy Bryan stayed in bed that day, if Roddy Bryan had stayed on his front porch, would Ahmaud Arbery be alive today? If the state's theory is that these men, and I'm not saying that's the case, you decide what, what the deal is with the co-defendants, but if the theory is that these men were vigilantes and harbored some ill will towards Mr. Arbery, then what difference does it make whether Roddy Bryan is there or not? 
Mr. Arbery can't outrun bullets. They've been chasing him for, for a while, and he's at practically point-blank range even before he comes around the truck. Mr. Bryan's presence on the road has nothing to do with the ability of the McMichael defendants to cut Mr. Arbery off. Why? Because even though Roddy Bryan doesn't know it, now Benzie's cut off one of the two exits from the neighborhood, and the McMichaels are already at the top of Holmes. They've cut off the second. Mr. Bryan is not trapping Mr. Arbery. He's trapped the moment the McMichaels get to the top of Holmes. It doesn't really matter what Roddy does. Now, they do come down the road, and there is a brief time period before the shooting where technically Mr. Bryan is behind Mr. Arbery. But it's clear by this point, it's certainly clear to Mr. Arbery, that he cannot outrun the McMichaels. No matter where he goes, they can follow. So again, how is Mr. Bryan's presence on this day in any meaningful way the cause of this shooting? And by the time Mr. Bryan gets around the dog leg, Mr. Arbery is already well within range of the shotgun that Travis McMichael is holding and the handgun that Gregory McMichael has. So if their intention, and again, I'm not suggesting that it's their intention, but if the McMichaels meant harm to Mr. Arbery, if they meant to shoot him that day, what in the world does Mr. Bryan's presence out there have to do with anything? I would submit to you that this is basically all a smokescreen from the state because Mr. Bryan's presence doesn't con contribute in a direct or substantial way to the death of Mr. Arbery because the McMichaels were certainly capable of catching up with him and shooting him if that was their intention. Kevin Goff's argument appears to be that if there was any wrongdoing by his client in pursuing Ahmaud Arbery, those wrongful acts did not cause Mr. Arbery's death. He continues. Mr. Arbery's decision at that last moment to turn left instead of right, as Mr. Bryan would have expected, if you can tell from the way he's angling his phone, anticipating Mr. Arbery's path of travel. When Mr. Arbery turns to the left, does that not break the causal chain in this case? I would submit that it does. Whether Mr. Arbery is justified in turning and coming at Mr. McMichael or not. That's for you to decide. That affects other people in this case. But Mr. Bryan is not responsible for that. That breaks the chain. The causal chain is no longer substantial and necessary. It's no longer direct. Likewise, when Mr. Travis McMichael closes the distance from to the left of the truck as you're looking at it on the screen towards the middle of the truck or exactly where I'll let y'all figure that out but when Travis McMichael does that regardless of whether Travis McMichael is justified in doing so doesn't that also break the direct causation does it not also break the substantial and necessary part of Mr. Bryan in causing the death of Mr. Arbery. I would submit to you that Mr. Bryan cannot be the direct and substantial and necessary cause of Mr. Arbery's death. Whether that is the fault, for lack of a better phrase, of Mr. McMichael, the fault of Mr. Arbery, 
or the fault of both, or simply throughout, without any fault on either part, an unavoidable tragedy, why should Roddy Bryan be held responsible for that? I would submit to you under the law that Mr. Bryan cannot be guilty of any of the felony murder counts for that reason alone. Kevin Goff concludes his closing by emphasizing his client's cooperation with authorities and reasserting the tenuousness of the relationship between William Bryan's actions and the shots that killed Ahmaud Arbery. Again, I'm going to posit these three questions to you. When did Roddy Bryan know the McMichaels brought guns? When did Roddy Bryan know Travis McMichael would shoot Mr. Arbery? And at that point, what could Roddy Bryan possibly have done to stop him? Mr. Bryan put his faith in the Glynn County Police Department. And then he put his faith in the GBI. He put his trust in law enforcement. He put his trust in our government to do the right thing by him. His trust was not rewarded, and now he finds himself before you. We place Roddy Bryan's fate in your hands. We ask you to return a verdict of not guilty on all counts. I ask you to send Roddy Bryan home. Thank you. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmad Arbery. On our next episode, we begin our examination of Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski's rebuttal closing argument. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery.